Do you see this writing? Do you know what it means? Hospitality. And you can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it! Um, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Tell you what, I'll take Miss Barrett back to her apartment and check her out. I'll go check out Miss Barrett's apartment. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bong in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. He will bind them with ancient logics. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Yondercast. And we are back in business doing what we're meant to do. Uh, we have to regretfully depart from the art cinema and move into uh, good trash. And this week, it doesn't get any more good trash than uh, Marvel's slash Joss Whedon's The Avengers. We're, we're back to our roots, man. So, uh, but before we do that, we need to do a couple of introductions. First, to him whose mind is like a bag of cats. To my left, sir. My John Travolta name is Artin Godardi, and there's only one guy, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Don't listen to him. That man is playing Galgan. He thought no one would notice, <laughs> but we did. We did. To my right, sir. Uh, my name is Dalton Stewart, <laughs> and in case you're wondering, my secret is that I am always angry. And um, you guys are just so petty and tiny. But my name is Dustin Sells, and I will get only references from 1939. Blue Flying Monkeys, I'll understand that. I hope the rest of the show can <laughs> be lined up accordingly. Uh, we're going to talk about a little movie called The Avengers. If you've been living under a rock, you haven't seen it. Otherwise, this is up in the wheelhouse. This is something we're all excited to be talking about. But we will give you a quick synopsis and a quick review before we do our analysis. Spoilers ahoy! Uh, we are going to spoil, spoil, spoil this show as we break it apart and do our analysis. So uh, watch out after reviews for that. But until then, let's do a synopsis. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. Nick Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D. assembles a team of superheroes to save the planet from Loki and his army. Oh, they spoiled that it's Loki? Terrible synopsis. All right, well, hey, let's do what we do. Let's do a quick just review of the movie. Is it a good comic book movie? Is it the greatest comic book movie? Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Does it work? Does it not work? And why? I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you? I don't know about the greatest, but I think it's certainly the most fun. Uh, and and in, uh, in terms of the achievement alone, even the, if the movie had been terrible, the achievement alone is just so impressive. That a studio got that much money to be put up on a movie that required audiences to do homework. <laughs> you had to see five other movies to see this movie. This is the sixth film in a set of sequels. Yes, yeah. in the the Marvel <laughs> universe, basically. Right. Yeah, and I just find that really kind of amazing that that Marvel, you know, was willing to take that risk. That they 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 trusted audiences to be in with them. Uh, and I think it's really awesome. If you had told people 15 years ago that one day there'd be an Avengers movie, I don't think anyone would have believed you. It just seemed impossible. No. And it's kind of amazing, and I love it. Uh, you know, that aside, though, it's so much fun. Uh, how much of that lies on Joss Whedon is debatable, but I think a fair amount of it does. Just, you know, he's got a track record for writing teams. It's kind of his deal. Uh, and he, d he does so really well here. And, um, you know, it's just so much fun. What's 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 not to like? I mean, the cast just totally nails it. I mean, there are complaints to be made. Uh, Hawkeye is very underused as a character. Yeah. Jeremy Renner really doesn't have anything to do. Well, as Arthur mentioned, if you ever read any of those West Coast Avengers titles, it's probably best you underuse them. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and for a film that's you know only has one female character with more than a couple of lines, I think, I think Black Widow gets a lot to do, has a lot of interesting character yeah. moments. They, they did a really good job of balancing out in that regard. Black Widow gets a lot to do? Yeah. We'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, one of the things I really do enjoy about this film, though, is that S.H.I.E.L.D. is portrayed as gray, and I think that's awesome. Mm. I, they, and they don't shy away from that at all. S.H.I.E.L.D. is very much portrayed as this kind of shadowy, not totally good, you know, clandestine yeah. agency, and they don't shy away from that. And I think that's kind of interesting. They don't really get into it a whole lot, 
But I think the fact that they even address it is, is worth mentioning. But why? What are you talking? You you don't need me to tell you this movie's fun. Go. go. What? If you haven't seen it, kill yourself. You're right. We don't need you. We well, need well, Arthur. That might be extreme. Don't. We do need that. Arthur to tell us this movie's good. Go ahead, sir. Uh, I enjoy this quite a bit. It's fun. <laughs> it's quotable. Uh, the balance of serious action film with the comic tropes such as Hulk slamming Loki side to side, punching Thor across the room. It's a very cartoony moment. Kind of awesome. Uh, it just blends really well here. Uh, in many ways, it presents a real-world mentality, uh, especially the development through the solo films leading into this, but we have these comic elements blended in very nicely. Uh, I think the team-up is well-balanced. It never feels like any one character is getting more attention, and in the cases where it does happen, it's because those characters are stealing scenery a lot of the times. Hiddleston, Downey, really kind of shine through a lot of times. Even Ruffalo. I love Ruffalo. Oh, Ruffalo's great here. And, and yeah. you know, for me, we get a great ensemble, and I think we get the best Bruce Banner since Bill Bixby, if not better than Bill Bixby. Heresy. But since is true. Yeah. Yeah, I love this movie. A lot well, of fun. Well, Justin, what are your thoughts? I, I think this movie's great. Um, I, 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 the, the reason why it's great is... Let, let, let's just... I want to echo the things that were said, though. The performances, rather, are, are great. Uh, Loki as a villain is fantastic. Uh, I really uh, like Ruffalo as the Hulk. Uh, the moments, you know, the, the, the humor that's sprinkled in is, is, is very much a joyful. It's, it's great popcorn you know, cinema. But really, the reason why we love it so much is because it should have sucked so bad. It should have been so terrible. And I think we all came in going, there is no way to pull this off. And they managed to not suck. And I, I think really, I, I, over time, I wonder if my goodwill towards the movie will wane. Because, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun, but it may be somewhat empty. It may be somewhat basic. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and again, what I always come back to on when you know two years out from from this movie's initial release, the thing that I always come back to is the achievement, the fact that they got it made mm-hmm. and that it was fun. Yeah. Uh, as far as the lead up to coming out, once Joss Whedon was attached to rewrite and direct, I was like, okay, I'm sold. I mean, yeah, that, that yeah. and I think that was a calculated move. But I mean, it doesn't do anything very exciting. It doesn't do anything particularly interesting. It doesn't do innovative. Anything, you know, you know. Yeah, there's no there's no developments in the characters. There's no changes. There's no nuance really. Uh, they are all there. They are all themselves. They uh, I mean, it has one goal is to be awesome, mm-hmm. and it, it achieves that goal of awesomeness. But awesomeness is not the same thing as good filmmaking either. To be certain, yeah, yeah. there aren't a lot of artistic flourishes here. I think the the one standout moment is is the. The tracking shot is we we follow uh, Iron Man flying around New York and we kind of stop and mm. see what everybody's doing while that's going on. And that's a really cool moment. But other than that, there's yeah, there's not a lot of flourishes. Well, one of the things I've noticed there's a lot of old fashioned filmmaking, mm-hmm. and it really took me back to the best examples: the old Batman show from the '60s. In a lot of the the things being done are camera tricks where the camera is tilted, so when everything's off scale or off balance, the camera's tilted. Or when Hawkeye's coming out of his haze, we get that color saturation thing mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of old-fashioned tricks, really, that Whedon's playing up, and it kind of adds to a campiness to what's going on here. I think you're right. I think you're right. It's great. I like it. It's a lot of fun. I mean, but I mean, if I were giving it stars, if we were doing that sort of thing, it's three and a half out of a five-star scale, something like that, I would say. I still go four to five. That's just because I. Uh, yeah. So it makes me so happy. Well, it, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about how much fun it is. Yeah. But yeah. <clears throat> uh, on a pure like, I just the, the like. Sometimes how much you like a film overwhelms its actual quality. That's fair. And vice versa. With, yeah. Like with Upstream Color, we talked about. Is that probably five star filmmaking? Yeah, I don't really like it that much. Nah, fair so enough. So that, yeah. that to me, I I don't ever really attempt to be. Uh, objective at all when I'm talking about you know when we do star ratings <laughs> objectivity's for squares in my mm-hmm. opinion mm-hmm. well that is impossible but moving yes. on uh, okay well there you go that's our quick reviews dear listener uh, look out here come the spoilers we're going to do some analysis now and uh, break it apart we're going to give all the spoilers uh, it turns into a musical at the end and they can't leave the cafeteria so uh, <laughs> that's a deep cut Buffy reference yeah yeah, yeah that's <laughs> interesting uh, so we're going to move on then. Uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis bring you, sir? Uh, well, what's interesting about the Avengers is that it kind of works as a standalone film in that there is a group of heroes 
We have a villain. We have a plot to take over the world. A lot of things, you know, we have a MacGuffin, so we have this classic action filmy kind of narrative. So in that regard, I think it works. I've talked to people who haven't seen maybe Thor, or they haven't seen Cap, but the Avengers still works for them on a lot of levels. That's due mm-hmm. to the humor and the pacing, things like that. That's a mistake. Caps were a lot of fun. That's that's I enjoy that one a lot. I did too. Now some things may make more or less sense depending on your experience with the phase one and two films or the individual hero films. Yet the Avengers is also a very interesting experiment as it essentially brought to film something that comics have been doing for a long time in that it is combining a storyline. This is a crossover comic thing. Yeah. 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 You know, pick up Avengers 488 to see what happens to the yeah. Hulk and Ant-Man next week. My favorite is like the little yellow blurb. If you want to know what Spidey's talking about, check out issue blah 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 yeah. blah and yeah. Ma- yeah. Uncanny X-Men. Little, little caricature of Stanley yeah. telling yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and this is something we've seen sometimes in film. Star Wars develops a universe within its first three films. Mm-hmm. It goes back and explores that a lot more with the prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see something done like this with Kevin Smith's View a universe characters, those five to six movies that exist in that universe of characters and people knowing each other and things affecting one another. And I think that may be in part due to his uh, history with comic books. He is a you know avid comic book fan. Um, and finally, the third major thing that does this is the Matrix trilogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In that they develop a universe that spans several different media. Uh, video games, short film, animated films... And so on. It really did start a trend that's very commonplace nowadays. Transmedia culture. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Transmedia storytelling is the practice of telling a story across multiple mediums of communication. For example, The Matrix narrative carries over from film to video game to short film to sequel and so on. So audiences' experience with the story can be more or less engaging depending on how much they want to participate in it. In his essay on the subject, Searching for the Origami Unicorn... Henry Jenkins discusses how this becomes problematic in regards to this classical Hollywood style, which demands that all narrative questions must be answered within the film. Transmedia storytelling throws this rule out the window at each piece, as each piece uh, gives you new information. This is something that the Avengers Phase 1 began experimenting with, both in film itself and across a few mediums. Uh, spectators who watch all of the films and leave before the credits run get one experience. Those who stay through half of the credits may get a second experience, while those who wait out the entire sequence may get a full experience as they have seen the film and often one or more stingers after the film has ended. The Avengers and Thor 2 both have two mm-hmm. post-credit uh, sequences. Most of the films give hints or clues as to what may happen in different films. The introduction of the Tesseract in Captain America, uh, which can be seen in Thor 2, while Tony Stark shows up at the end of The Incredible Hulk to talk to the General about his large problem. Mm-hmm. And while the narrative hasn't crossed over into video game territory yet, it has hit DVD and TV. ABC debuts Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is set within the Avengers-verse and features a world and story that is affected and potentially will play future Avenger films. Also, Marvel has begun to release one-shot short films that further the narrative and the mythos of the film, uh, most specifically the ones featuring Mandarin from Iron Man 3 and Peggy Carter of Captain America. This experimentation means that unless you're buying the DVDs, you may be missing out on part of the narrative experience. Marvel's cinematic narrative has also begun to influence their print work, as shown by the resurrection of the Guardians of the Galaxy title, uh, which which believe, pleases me. Uh, which I believe is set to tie in with the upcoming film. Uh, this serves to help introduce audience to the characters and their world before the movie opens. This approach also removes pressure from the film in that it doesn't have to spend a lot of time fleshing out backstory and settings. And while The Avengers doesn't require as much from the audience yet as The Matrix, it is definitely putting out feelers into new areas to see just what is possible. It also, as Jenkins mentions, throws a rinse into tra- traditional ideas of spectatorship that people don't want to have to work for narrative, and they should have all of their questions answered by the end of the film. The Avengers certainly doesn't do that, neither do the films leading up to. Uh, Most of them left us scratching our heads in preparation for The Avengers, a film which leaves us with a huge question mark as an unnamed purple guy glances at the camera uh, before the credits continue rolling. In doing that, Marvel sent millions of people to their phones and computers to find out who that purple guy was. (laughs) Or turning to the nerd next to them going, Who is that? It it happened. How long do you have? Right. (laughs) and what role he plays in the universe. Marvel is continuing to build up a unique universe, which doesn't seem to have an end in sight. With several Netflix series on the way and movie release dates scheduled for the next three years, who knows how and where the story will continue to unfold, and for one, I'm quite excited. Well, thank you for that, Arthur. I love your um, reading so much, I won't kill anyone. Um, uh, Please don't. (laughs) And I I do like uh, the uh, Beyond That... uh, 
Origami Unicorn article that you cited. Uh, very, very helpful stuff. Uh, for further reading, dear listener, do check that out. I think that's helpful for breaking down what's going on in the marketing and the selling of that which we receive, which is the Avengers. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you, sir? Well, I thought a little bit about what I was going to do with the Avengers, and, and there are some kind of typically tread ground here uh, that I would normally go to when I, you know, trying to break it open from a sociological perspective. Uh, there are some questions about the betrayal of women in media here, to be sure. Uh, certainly a question uh, about the betrayal of minorities uh, in media. Yes. Uh, questions about duty and uh, traditional portrayals of masculinity, things like that. Uh, but what I really landed on was this idea of systems. Now, systems are, are, are things we talk a lot about in sociology, typically from a negative uh, light, systems of oppression, systems of poverty, things like that. Systems are, are typically things that keep people shackled. Uh, things that keep people from progressing, things that hold people within a cycle that benefits uh, those with power, uh, some would argue, or others would argue, benefits society at large in some way or another. But what I think the Avengers does, and and this isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing, it just is, what I feel like the Avengers does is it tackles how systems can be a good thing, how working within a system uh, can benefit people. Uh, When we come to the film at the beginning, we, we have these... Four different uh, superpowered dudes um, and some assassins, uh, and, and they're all working towards a similar goal, but it's hardly the same goal. Uh, and for the first half of the film, we see them kind of working at loggerheads with one another, able to, to get any traction and just spinning their wheels. When they succumb to the system and choose to work within it, though, is where they finally start to see some progress. In terms of trying to look at this from a real-world perspective, think of an idealist trying to do things on their own and then joining a nonprofit organization or joining um, uh, a government agency where they try to further their aims and, and their goals for helping people. Uh, and I think that's what really struck me on this viewing of the Avengers. I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about before was this idea that uh, systems can be a good thing uh, and how, when you work within them, you can have progress of some kind. They aren't necessarily bad. Now, we do see the downside of systems here. Uh, the the Global Committee for S.H.I.E.L.D. or what, whatever they are. This The council, right? Yeah, the council. It was like, well, screw it. We're following protocol. Let's nuke that city. Uh, you know, <laughs> bureaucracy, uh, you know, red tape. There, there are rules that we have to follow. This isn't Vietnam. We have a set, you know, protocol, a set procedure for the way this for what we're gonna, what we decided we would do if this happened, and, and I think they do show that negative side of systems. Likewise, uh, for Shield and its its um, nuclear deterrent, as Tony Stark refers to it as, you know, systems have a way of thinking. They have one approach to a problem. What what we get here with Nick Fury though is when somebody within the system chooses to think about how they can use the system, uh, the power within the system to do something a little bit differently, and how when you get individuals of a like-minded goal together, uh, you can get uh, something done. And again, it's, it comes down to what the film is at the end of the day about the the message, the moral of the story of being teamwork, I think, probably. And that just kind of ref- how that reflects in a sociological perspective. Teamwork! Teamwork! T-E-A-M! Teamwork! But that was really what struck me. The only other thing... Uh, that struck me here was, was this idea of globalism, which kind of turned, ties into the, the idea of working within systems. How once everyone, again, teamwork, once everyone works together, you make more progress. And again, globalism typically portrayed as a bad thing, but there are positives to it. Sure. Uh, in this case, I think the, the, negative we see, the only negative we see of the Avengers, who are kind of a global team or an extra global team, uh, to be you know accurate, uh, we see people say, well, they have brought this upon us, you know, they, they have exploited us as, you know, not them. Uh, if we look at the Avengers as being the first world and the ruins of New York being the third world, we see this this kind of, you just came here and did your thing and then you left. And now we got to pick it up. So there there is a little bit of that going on, I think. Uh, it's not really addressed in any real light and it's very quickly, you get... What's her face from Growing Pains at the as the waitress at Captain America? Right, that's her. Uh, also did great voice work in The Last of Us. But yeah, so the 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 questions of is globalism bad are very quickly mitigated, to be sure. 
But I think there is a little bit of that going on, particularly when you're looking at a film that was marketed towards a global audience, not just towards a domestic audience. So I think there's a little bit of that going on here. But really, I think at the end of the day, the most interesting thing for me here was this, uh, this portrayal of systems and, and how they work. Well, Dustin Sells, what are your thoughts on The Avengers? Well, I, I just as a side note to uh, what you just said, uh, I would say if you're interested in this idea of globalization and that of products, check out George Ritzer's The Globalization of Nothing. Uh, well, he makes a distinction between that which is global and that which is global. And it's fascinating, fascinating material. Sounds very interesting. I can't believe I haven't read it. I'll loan you my copy. Please do. What I would offer is, I think what modern, contemporary comic book films have done is, because they have such great scale, because of the availability of CGI, and because, obviously, you said Hulk loose, he will break Harlem. That's what he does. Yes. And, 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 and so you have the ability to destroy cities. And because of that ability, it seems that comic book films seem to almost reflexively go to uh, some of the iconography and uh, some of the same sort of images of September 11, 2001. And th- th- these comic book films tend to become uh, ruminations on the 9-11 experience, and uh, American reaction to the war. And I think The Avengers is a shining example of just exactly that. Uh, the, the, obviously, the, the great attack on New York City occurs at the end of the film, but there is an attack at the first film, led by one man in a small group in sort of a cell. Uh, he creates a cell, mm-hmm. uh, indoctrinates uh, those into his cell when Loki appears. And what Nick Fury says, though, is this thing has happened, and we are at war, Right. And as it turns out, that, that's exactly the same statements that were being made on September 11th when uh, President Bush was getting announcements, uh, America's under attack, we are at war, we have to scramble jets and all these sort of things, you know, again, war preparations because of a single uh, event. And then the rest of the movie becomes the hunt for Osama bin Laden and Zero Dark Curry. Uh-huh. It, is, it is the hunt for uh, Loki and, of course, the Tesseract that he possesses. And what was what's fascinating to me is, is the use of energy resources to carry out a militaristic purpose. I, I'm thinking all kinds of shades of Dick Cheney, CEO of Halliburton, who is also uh, very much tied up in the military-industrial complex, where we have the Tesseract, which is this great source of energy, but then ends up being used secretly to also produce weapons. It also is part of the gear of war and Halliburton's use of contracts post-Iraqi evasion that, again, are these tools of um, financial gain in war. And there, there's a great parallel at work there. Not only the fact is that, that they flat out lie to get the whole thing going. Nick Fury lies about where Coulson's cards are because they needed a push. And I think about Colin Powell standing before the Senate Armed Services Committee. And uh, these sorts of issues where the weapons of mass destruction clearly were not there. In fact, we were possessing some intel and information and material that was uh, of a different sort for, you know, again, just beating the drums of war in this situation. Then we have a situation about torture, which is another major issue surrounding the Iraq war, where Nick Fury has an entire conversation with Thor about what he's willing to do to his brother. They have an entire conversation about he will not give up information uh, under under pain. He is, you know, his mind is far afield. It's more than just power. He wants right. He wants revenge, and he he won't he won't yield under pain. And Nick Fury says, "Yeah, a lot of people say that till the pain comes. The question is, how far are you willing to go?" Again, it's it's it, shall we waterboard Loki to get the information? That's the question. Being asked, right? Of course, they bypassed it with uh, uh, with Black Widow coming beforehand, and, she, and he says exactly that, right? He says yeah. that you, I expected you to come after. You would have been a bomb. Mm-hmm. And, That's and a great word, bomb. And, 
And, and again, this this whole idea of what are we willing to do? And and so what ends up happening is everyone says Shield is dirty. This whole thing is motivated improperly. Uh, everyone's lying to us. But we got to do what we got to do. We've got to go ahead and assemble right and take on the enemy because that is our duty in the situation. In spite of the fact that there are all of these structural systemic. Uh, problems that are at work. And I, I think it is exactly that sort of call to war that we receive. And of course, it's then justified by the Chitauri invasion, uh, which has been part manufactured by the circumstances. Because had we not misused the Tesseract in the first place, because that's why the war starts, is that we homed in on these people. Thor tells us the use of the Tesseract is an indication that Earth is ready for a higher form of war. You're calling these people out. There's antagonism by your very actions. But we're not going to deal with that. We're just going to say, okay, these baddies are showing up on our doorstep. And we are going to not seek peace. We're not going to seek defense. We're not going to seek justice. We're going to seek vengeance. We are going to avenge the Earth. You can be damn sure we'll avenge it. Yeah, I, this is problematic. And, and, and okay. all, all of those sort of problematic bits of what it is to be in America in the post-9-11 world is completely tied up in the narrative plot points along the line of the film. And it is, um, I, don't, I don't think it's a comment. It, I mean, if it was a comment, I mean, action movies tend to go to the right more than the left, and so it probably does that. Uh, but I don't think it really is so much a comment as much as it is a an expression of the trauma uh, therein. And you Certainly. see this in all of these films. Also interesting, just the destruction of New York City, how often that's happening anymore. I mean, there's some direct quotations of it in some uh, recent films, uh, uh, White House Down would be an example. Star of. Trek Into Darkness, I think, is the most blatant example of it. Men of Steel is pretty blatant Man as well. Yeah, I, didn't, uh, I <laughs> always talk about that one for some reason, didn't come to mind today. Guys, what I want to say is this. is I'm so glad to have heard the conversation that we had just right now because one of the themes in internet criticism right now is how there is no critical analysis of this movie. And we just did it. Yeah. yeah that pleases me. So, thank you so much for that. But, I mean, I, seriously, um, websites as illustrious as RogerEbert.com have articles that talk about the impenetrability of this film to analysis. Well, that's what we do here at the Good Trash Genre Cast. We, t- we take these films that uh, have been argued, nothing smart can be possibly said about this. And, you know, we try to say something about it. Something of meaning. That we do. Well, thank you for that, guys. Well, we need to give a final verdict. Is this movie shelf-worthy or trash-worthy? What else or instead should you watch? I ask you, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Well, I, I would say it's definitely a, a shelf film. I mean, it's too much fun. What do you? This this is a, a beacon. When you look back at 2012, I don't think you'll you'll be able to not talk about the Avengers because I don't think you can talk about the first century uh, of the new millennium without or the first two decades of the new millennium uh, without talking about superhero films and the impact they've had on really breathing new life into the blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think you can... I think yeah. these are an integral part of the conversation. Whether you like them or not, whether you're tired of them or not, they're part of the conversation. Um, so if only for that, I think The Avengers belongs on the shelf. But also, it's, it's a fun. What do you... What, you don't like this? If you don't like this film, you're a sad person, and I pity you. <laughs> I think nothing, nothing is fun for you. You just don't like being happy. Just as I thought. No better from this side. Nobody minds... Nobody cares. Pathetic. <laughs> so what else or instead, Dalton? Well, else I would recommend some subversions of the superhero genre. Um, Super by James Gunn, who will be directing... That movie's good. That's a great movie, but now he will be directing Guardians of the Galaxy, which has come up uh, a couple of times on the show already. Mm-hmm. I love it a lot. It's uh, very good. I would also recommend Kick-Ass, which is a much more studio film that subverts... It, it's less subverting the genre as a whole and more subverting origin stories. But it's still fun. Uh, I can't speak to the sequel's quality, but the first one, uh, I think there's some fun stuff going on there. Uh, lastly, if you want just a big old super fun superhero movie that uh, isn't overly serious like the Batman films and, and like other films like that, check out X-Men First Class. Uh, yeah. About the same, uh, the year before, a huge undertaking uh, in terms of the number of characters, uh, the amount of world building that they try to yeah. take place. The amount of knowledge of the source material that a major studio film expected its audience to have. 
So I think I think those are good companion films to this uh, for those reasons. Excellent. I like that, Dalton, very much. Um, Arthur Gordon, what say you? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? Oh, most deaf, bro. This is going on the shelf. Most deaf, bro. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely on the shelf. I I enjoy this movie a lot. I think else you're going to want to watch. I think you go ahead and watch Iron Man and Captain America. Obviously, I think they're the strongest of those solo films. I for sure. I would agree with that. Um, and then I think you you watch a couple of other team up movies. And I think you watch Ocean's Eleven uh, with George Clooney, and you watch Gone in 60 Seconds with Nick Cage, and there's a fun marathon to be had there. Uh, but finally, uh, you watch this with another uh, film that has built a cinematic universe, and that's Star Wars, mm-hmm. which also features a good ensemble cast, and is a lot of fun, and has certainly over time developed a massive transmedia uh, narrative. No doubt. And so I think <clears throat> there's a lot of fun to be had there with those two. Excellent. I like those picks a lot, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, I'm going to say also shelf in that it will not always be streaming on every single streaming platform as it is right now. And you want to be able to watch it again. But I say it with some reservation because I realize that once it stops streaming on everything, it will be on TNT back to back every Saturday for the rest of eternity. It will be it will be on TV the rest of our lives. Yeah, for sure. I mean, no doubt. And really, un- until the sun burns out, it will be on the TV. Much like The Godfather, it will always be on TV. <laughs> yes, um, Godfather should always be watched at Thanksgiving. That way you know how to appreciate your family. You've told me this theory. But I digress. Uh, nonetheless, uh, so there is, I don't know what that is, shelf or trash, but it is... That middle... That ledge. middle place there, just because, again... Do you really need to drop a dime on this? I don't know that you do, because... It's everywhere. It's gonna be every. Yeah, it is. It, it is ubiquitous. Yeah. I and, mean, I don't own it, to be fair. Yeah, no, nor do I. <clears throat> and I, I do. And I've probably seen it half a dozen times since the theater. So, so what else should you watch? I think Man of Steel you should watch, um, because it is, again, so that 9-11 um, trauma, but there's a different movie. I don't know that... Man of Steel is a great movie. I I, I, w- I like Kansas more than I like Metropolis. And I really wanted to see a whole lot more of this kind of brutalistic fut- Soviet futurist style telling of the history of Krypton. That sequence there where he first gets on the ship and he's being told the story in that sort of Soviet futurist style is fantastic. I really enjoyed the Maliki stuff. Absolutely. So I would recommend that. I would also recommend uh, that you watch all the comic book movies, but if you're going to go a little bit on the outside, have some fun. I think you should watch The Crow, which is a uh, off-the-beaten-path comic book adaptation. And we've got an episode over it for you. We sure do, and you should listen to it because we're brilliant. That was a goodie. It was, uh, mostly because of you guys. Aww, you're so sweet. It's the truth. Um, and so that is probably the recommends that I would provide. Let's talk about what recommends... The dear listener would provide. Let's talk about the conversation that they would provide. We talked about how we provided some analysis that is uh, somehow opaque to this movie. We're not special. We're not the only ones who can do this. You guys can do this, and we'd like to hear some of that analysis. And I hope to heaven that there has been feedback because this week in Nick Sanford needs to never happen again the rest of my life. So I'm going to begin with Mr. Dalton Stewart. Do you know anything about a means of social media by which conversation could be held? Well, after the threat last week, the internet really asked us, Dalton, what do we have to fear? And I say to you, the good trash genre cast. It's what we call ourselves, sort of like a team, Earth's Mightiest Geeks, that type of thing. Yeah, and it takes us a while to get some traction, I'll give you that. But I'm going to do a quick head count right here. We've got the man of God. Oh no. (laughs) We've got the super film critic. A living legend who, who kind of lives up to the legend. Uh, a man with breathtaking masculinity issues. <laughs> a couple of master guest hosts. And you, Internet, you've managed to piss off every single one of us. And it's not a great plan. Because when we come to talk about your movie, and we will, we'll come for the director. You might have an army, Internet, but we have a Twitter. <laughs> oh my goodness. You are in rare form tonight, sir. Yeah, I do, okay. <laughs> you can find the Good Trash Genre cast at good underscore trash. Oh, mercy. <laughs> we, we do have a, a little bit of feedback. Uh, I, I, guess, I guess the threat wasn't completely unheard, 
but my warning was not entirely heated. But thanks to <laughs> thanks to the brave and 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 really selfless, I would say, acts of one Caleb Vesley. <laughs> <laughs> this week in Nick Sanford's Twitter account is canceled. <laughs> so you will not be getting the greatest hits of Nick's tweets this week. You will instead get some good trash genre cast feedback. Thank you, Caleb. Um, uh, Randall Blaze wanted to let... I always call him that. Randall Baze. I say Randall Blaze like he's some internet pothead. I, every <laughs> time I can't help it. Uh, Randall Baze wanted to let us know that he was really excited for this episode and wanted us to have a good weekend. Thanks, Randall. I appreciate that. Brigham Cole, as always, up on the news. Brigham gave us the, uh, as uh, Caleb was talking about on his last week of the show, Cutie Violins, uh, The Stick of Truth, uh, the South Park game finally coming out. Brigham went ahead and hit us with the link to uh, the review from IGN. Uh, Caleb Vesley, though, wanted to share some of his thoughts on bad movie experiences. Uh, Bad movie experience, 12 Years a Slave, Small Monday Afternoon, and a black girl in the back literally laughed at the whole movie. Hashtag know your roots. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. Wow. Uh, Caleb Vesley also said, Bad experience, Wolf of Wall Street. Big audience, 500 pound man and I were the only ones who got it. Me and him were the only ones dying. Uh-huh. Which is unfortunate because I saw the last showing of the night on Christmas Day and my theater about lost its mind. I discovered a whole new face. The cerebral palsy face. So that's what we got coming in from the Twitter this week. Well, there is another medium of social media, which I know has been quite active this week. Oh, it's been busy. Um, Really? Tell us some things, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Well, first, as always, if you need to, you can email us, uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast. We have quite a bit coming in. Um, We'll just go down the list here. Uh, Brigham shared a link to an interview uh, with... Uh, Joel Silver, uh, which comments on how Watchmen would have ended if Terry Gilliam would have been able to go ahead with the project. Oh, I want that so bad. So you can go check that out and see how Terry Gilliam would have would have ended the movie. Uh, Johnny Bland says that he hopes the new Godzilla film will someday make its way to Netflix for us to have a go at. Brigham posted a link about the recent announcement of The Last of Us becoming a live-action movie. Called it! Uh, in regards to our discussion of cinematic experience, uh, Brigham says he remembers going to see Doom with Dalton. Obviously, since it won Best Picture that year, it is one of those video games to cross over to mainstream success. <laughs> Joking aside, at the time, it was pretty fun. God, we had a blast. We really... God, what, what year did that come out? Ooh, we we been, were in junior high. His dad took us. Yeah, it would have been 07 or 08-ish. Oh, um, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that recent because I couldn't drive. Okay. Um, it had to be 05. Really? Oh, oh my... Yeah, Dustin's feeling old now. Oh, yeah. You were married, right? You probably had two kids by then. <laughs> He's always I had, had two kids. one kid by then. I hadn't had two Yeah, that movie's a steaming pile, but we had a blast. And me and him were about falling out of our chairs with our mouths agape at that first person sequence. Alright, the fetus is ordered to silence. Go ahead, sir. Alright, uh, Nick Sanford says, E.T. is and forever will be my all-time favorite film. I got to see E.T. at the Alamo Draft House in Austin in June of 2000. Man, I want to go down there and see a movie. Uh, More than anything in the world, Ron. It was during their Summer of 82 celebration where they played all the awesome movies from Summer of 1982, Blade Runner, Wrath of Khan, The Thing, etc., mm. on the weekends that corresponded with the original release dates. Mm. That's pretty cool. It was on 35mm. Uh, this was 2012, so actual film was a real treat. And they had trailers for Explorers, Mac and Me, which was surely a joke, and uh, The Thing playing in front of it, and it was magical. We were all crying by the end. It's hands down the best movie-going experience I'll ever have. Nothing will ever top that. But some that came close were seeing Inception opening night, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, Midnight's at the Moor Warren, and seeing The Exorcist in 35mm in 2007. You say nothing will ever top that, but you have yet to see Arthur Gordon's feature film debut, Mr. Nick Sanford. But I think until that point, you are correct. <laughs> Moving on. Clay Trammell, a new, a new respondee, says he saw a crash in Atlanta with an extremely diverse audience that gave it a standing ovation in the end. Whoa! Wow, that would have been cool. He says he also saw Brokeback Mountain on opening night, which consisted of him and about 40 homosexual men. Yeah! it's a good time. Get it! Randall Bay says, really? Phil and I saw Magic Mike opening night with an audience filled with women. This tiny 80-ish year old w- woman asked me, are you here for the... <laughs> two. <laughs> <laughs> 
which I hope I hope Randall said all of us. <laughs> that is the best thing I've ever heard my entire life. <laughs> I didn't didn't know that was a thing that could happen in real life. That uh, just changed my core temperature. <laughs> this is a free podcast. You don't have to pay any money to listen to this. <laughs> but you want to. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you this for that. Ra- the podcast you want to pay for. Thank you for that, Randall. Oh, oh, God. Adam Chamberlain says seeing Avatar in 3D was definitely a highlight. Uh, first time seeing a movie in 3D. Uh, finally, some thoughts on the Avengers. Uh, former co host Ashley Raines uh, says that the team up is balanced. Unlike some films, X Men, we're looking at you. Yeah, a uh, couple of them. But she doesn't like how Loki is portrayed as something of a hired gun here. Just this kind of. Do the job for me instead of being his mischievous anarchic kind of self. He doesn't get the great moments that he does in the Thor movies, where he he has this depth and complexity to him that yeah. make him a really interesting villain. He gets a couple of those moments in, in Avengers, but they were very brief. I, yeah. I think if you really want some more of that character, the, the Thor movies is where. Well, he's Shakespearean there, right? He's like got this betrayal yeah. that mm-hmm. he's wrestling with, and there's not so much of that in this film. Well, and it doesn't hurt that he's a you know Shakespeareanly trained actor. Yes, and that. pretty. Oh, so beautiful. And Brigham says that he liked it very much. He especially liked them going with the Sam Jackson Ultimate Nick Fury mm-hmm. uh, version of the character. He kept it from being a completely whitewashed cast. Uh, he's not as familiar with the Marvel Universe as most, but overall, in his opinion, he felt it was done faithfully. That is all we have coming in from the Facebook. Also, we're at um, goodtrashhonorcast.tumblr.com. It does if you, exist. <laughs> if you want to look at pictures, there are some of the movies. He put that, some cool art up. At, yep. That we look at. There are either pictures or gifs slash gifs, depending on whether GIFs. you want peanut butter or visual um, moving pictures and occasionally um, some alternate artwork for posters those are always fun so do check that out as well well thank you gentlemen uh, for all of that Uh, for this week's game we wanted to talk about we've got a team up of a bunch of different types of superheroes yeah we got the clean cut one. We've got the, the all powerful one. We've got the the monstrous one. We've got the the man who invented his superpowers. The, the just highly skilled type yeah. of hitmen. Yeah. So we were like, well, let's let's take a look at that and let's drudge a game out of it. Um. So so I kind of I, I focused on three things. I focused on the clean cut hero, the anti hero, and, and the demigod. Okay. Uh, for clean cut, I I don't think it gets any better than Captain America. He, he is. Really, I, I think an underrated character that's got a lot more uh, exposure lately. I think he's had more to do, uh, especially in the comics. You look at things like the Civil War arc that yeah. Marvel did; he got a lot to do. And, and, and since his being a big his big screen debut, he's he's got some more focus. But I just I like him as a character because he does something very interesting, where he represents America as it wants to be. And that's something that comes up a lot in his stories, is that America is not what Captain America represents. It, it doesn't, in practice, uh, yeah. put forth what he represents. Truth, justice in the American way. Exactly. Right. He, he is, is much more this ideal. Yeah. And I find that very interesting when the living embodiment of, of American exceptionalism, of American idealism, has to look at what is actually happening and is forced to reconcile with that. I think it's very interesting. And I think I think Cap is, and I think Chris Evans really does a great job of of portraying that uh, the the weak man who knows the value of strength. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, of anti heroes, uh, I, I looked at two two of my my favorite uh, examples, and that's the Punisher and Wolverine. I did go real Marvel heavy on my list. Uh, obviously, you can you can look at uh, Batman. He's certainly got shades of anti hero to him, uh, depending yeah. on which depiction of certainly post Frank Miller. Uh, but I really like the Punisher. I like this this tortured character uh, who who has no powers, and, and not no powers in the way that Iron Man and Batman have no powers, where Batman's <laughs> power is the indomitability of the human will and, and preparedness, and Iron Man's power is money and brilliance. Um, the Punisher is just a dude with a flak jacket and a bunch of guns. Um, <laughs> that's it. And a, and a whole lot of sadness. Yeah. And a whole lot of heartbreaking sadness. Well, and I... Anger more than sadness, maybe. Angry sadness? Angry sadness is a thing. Sag- sagrin? I bet the Germans have a word for it this they, long. They typically do. <laughs> uh, but I find him an interesting character that gets a lot of... Because he represents that that 80s, 90s, tough comic book character who has guns and swears. Uh, he gets a lot of flack for, for representing this this like comics, this self-seriousness in comics. But I, I really like him as a character. I think he, when used properly, I think he's really interesting. I think the Thomas Jane film uh, is a 
really underrated gym. I, I think it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Um, uh, that really tackles the character, and obviously Wolverine because he's just the coolest. Yeah, he's just yeah. the bee's knees. He's Miles Davis, man. He's that cool. Wait, you can't yeah. get any cooler than Wolverine. Uh, finally, for demigods, I looked at two. I looked at Superman, who also fits under the clean cut moniker. Um, you know, I it didn't become a thing until recently. People act like Superman's been a, a Jesus analog for um, ever. Uh, yeah. And he hasn't. And most people will wisely point out that he was created by a, a pair of Jewish comic writers. But I think certainly within the last couple of decades, he, he has certainly become this messianic figure. Uh, and I think there's a really lot of interesting things done with that. Uh, self-sacrifice is always cool. Uh, yeah. It's always a good story. That's why it's everywhere, as Joseph Campbell would point out. Um, but I really I really like uh, Superman when, when he has something interesting to do. He doesn't always have something interesting to do is the problem. Um, but I feel like Man of Steel, one of its strengths was that it let you see his emotions, and I liked that. Uh, I, I would also look at the Hulk in terms of demigods, who also fits under the moniker of anti-hero. Um, he cannot be killed. Literally. Cannot be killed. Just keeps getting a, bigger and bigger and better and It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Hulk has gotten significantly larger since he began as a character. But uh, I like Hulk a lot. I, I like the, the, this man dealing with this wealth of rage yeah. uh, and, and just trying to, to bring that under heel. And that brings in that anti-hero thing he's got going on. Uh, but those are my picks. Those are some of my, my not only my, my favorite hero archetypes, but some of my favorite examples thereof. I think those are all some really great ones. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, inventor of the game? Well, you know, I don't typically go for the clean-cut Boy Scout. I'm not a huge Superman fan, but I do like Cap. There's just something about him that I, I really find, and I don't know if this is kind of his naivety to him that he kind of has. You see it in the first movie, you know, especially when he becomes, he realizes he's just a propaganda tool uh, yeah. for the Army. But there's something about him that I like, and it kind of goes back, and it's another Joe Johnson movie, uh, The Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. another character that I really enjoyed. I like that movie a lot. Uh, but typically, I'm going to go for the anti-hero. I love Batman. Batman was always my guy growing up. Batman's cool. I, I went out of my way not to put him on yeah. any of my lists. But Batman, I you know what? Han Solo is going to go on my list. I'm going to get out of the comic verse. And oh, Han nice. Solo is gonna I go stuck to superheroes. I like that. Uh, Wolverine, when I was a kid, if there was a superpower one, it was Wolverine's There's a reason he's claws. the coolest. There's a reason he's the coolest X-Men. Yeah. X-Man. He's pretty he awesome. didn't show up until the mid-70s and just overtook like 20 Everything. years of, yeah. of stories. Yeah. Um, I'd say also uh, just kind of uh, some diversity. I'd say uh, uh, Elizabeth Salander from uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Nice. Nice play. Nice play, sir. And, I, uh, I approve. And Dexter. Dexter going into TV. Dexter's one of my favorite TV characters. Anti-hero. I don't know what you call him. I'm not the monster he wants me to be. So I'm neither man nor beast. I'm something new entirely. My own set of rules. I didn't even think of, of non-superheroes as an option for this list. I was trying to get away because I didn't want us to just all repeat the same stuff. I like that. I'm going to go uh, Timothy Olyphant's Raylan Givens from Justified Yeah. Uh, as, as an anti-hero. I, yeah, just kind of does his own thing. Uh, yeah. But also clean cut in his, his 1800s morality. Yeah. In his 1800s sense of justice. So I, I just love Timothy Willifan. He's a great actor. Yeah. Fair play. That's all I got for you. Dustin? Well, I want to say this. Um, before we get into the, uh, the archetypes that we've kind of declared as the ones that we're going to look at, there is a film in which there is a couple of different archetypes where there is a, a Boy Scout, uh, a brainy person, basically uh, a tail hound. Does that communicate? And, yeah. and finally, a working man, mm-hmm. right? Which is one of the greatest films of all time. You know, I'm talking about 1984's Ghostbusters. <laughs> and uh, there is some legitimacy there. And I just want to lay out an archetype set that's less superheroic, but it's definitely every bit as much archetypal uh, when we look at it. Um, my favorite clean-cut, though, hero probably isn't Ray Stance. You know, because the Boy Scout sort of is that. I think my favorite of all time of the uh, of the clean cut, just you know, awesome kind of hero. I, I'm going to say Oliver Quinn, the the Green Arrow, and especially in the '60s and the '70s. Yeah, he, he got a little bit more shades of anti-hero yeah. too. Because later. that's yeah. what happens, and I like with that. Bat- it happened with Batman too. True, true enough. But I, I think I like the direction that Oliver Quinn goes more. 
I, I love that direction of this system in which I was able to exploit all of these people to make all this money is fundamentally flawed. Something needs to be done about that. Uh, I like that far better than Batman continuing just to run Wayne Enterprises. Well, it's a really interesting character in that this business tycoon becomes literally takes on Robin Hood mm-hmm. as his superhero moniker. I think that's kind of sweet. So I, I do like that a lot. Um, he he could conceivably be moved over into the antihero um, category, but is well, what it is. As, as a tail chaser and uh, a boozer. Yeah, true enough. But true. but yeah, yeah, he's got those clean cut qualities for sure. Antihero, we've already mentioned uh, the Crow um, from the James O'Barr novel, um, graphic novel. That's also, so good. For my antihero, I would suggest uh, more of a tragic hero um, than an antihero. Of course, an example of a tragic hero might be Darth Vader. Who, in the end, brings balance to the Force and destroys the Emperor. He was still the chosen one. <clears throat> he still was. But the pick I would give that's more dramatically pleasing, only in the novel form, not in the cinematic form, is Severus Snape. Quite possibly one of my favorite antiheroes uh, of all that's time. Uh, because you don't refer, because you think he's the villain yeah. until the very, very end. Beautiful, too. And it's, it's, it's pretty beautiful. fantastic. Yeah. That is the second time you've spoken out of turn, Miss Granger. Are you incapable of restraining yourself, or do you take pride in being an insufferable know-it-all? He's got a point, you know. Now, Demi Godry, I, I'm, I'm less interested in that. I, I got to be honest, you know. Yeah. And I'm usually not, but but the recent depictions of of the Superman and, and Hulk are really what win me over that. And I, again, the Hulk has is anti-hero and demigod, and yeah. But but Superman and his the way he's depicted. Really, that wins me over because I'm usually not a fan of it either. It's it's not that interesting. It's not yeah. as interesting as, as as a man as, as yeah. Spider Man, who who really kind of defies classification as a, a classic architect. Yeah. Sure, um, just due to you know being the first and really one of the only teenage superheroes. He is not a sidekick. He's no no one's sidekick. He he is a teenage superhero with that angst, but yeah. also with that lightning. He's got the angst of a superhero of a of an antihero, but he's got that lightness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he defies classification. But yeah, I. Really, I don't. I don't go in for the demigods either. So, and and my demigod pick is kind of reflective of that. Is that a demigod who doesn't look like one at all? But if you look textually, you, you begin to investigate the source material. This character, it's a he, totally is. But um, as you read the actual novels and/or films, uh, his depiction and the way he presents himself totally is not. Uh, and that's Gandalf the Grey. Who is nice? A god, basically, an angel yeah. of some sort. But he seems like a guy who's been sleeping in ditches for the last six months <laughs> and <laughs> smokes a lot of that pipe weed. He does you know smoke what I mean. quite a bit of pipe weed, and uh, so I love me some Gandalf the Great, yeah, undercover god. Yeah, it kind of is that way, and I and I dig that about him. We are going to now. Uh, do what we always do and talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. I ask you, Arthur Gordon, are you fired up? You know, I didn't think I was, and I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of a s- simmering slow burn. Simmering. I, uh, the first thing, the biggest thing is I, I now have to buy a next generation console because Arkham Knight has been announced, and the trailer has been debuted, Zee! and you get to drive the Batmobile. Zee! Yeah, I will, I will drop four to five, six hundred bucks on a, on a device so I can play Do we know, Arkham Knight. Who's the developer of Arkham Knight? Do we? Rocksteady. Rocksteady's it's back. It's supposed to be the finale. This is the last one. Yes. They proclaim. Uh, the next bit of thing uh, is some more Batman news. It's Fox's Gotham project that they're working on. This really? is a television series that will take Go place on. in Gotham. And I believe it's going to focus on Jim Gordon and not the Batman. Bruce Wayne will be in the show at some level, but Batman will not make an appearance. You'll never see it in a film, but I love the idea of, of, of the hero's tale told through the ordinary, like the people seeing the hero. You yeah. get a little bit of that in year one. Well, I think this is but. more even... I think Bruce Wayne's still a teenager. Oh, cool. I think he's still young. And I know Selena like, Kyle's been cast. Wow. Uh, Alfred, I think, is in cast. So Gordon's going to work like the Wayne murders. Probably, I don't know to what extent uh, that'll feature in. But yeah, it's. I think it's going to kind of focus more from Gordon's eyes. Which is very interesting prospect in my opinion I just like the idea of the man on the ground being like oh Superman's back <sighs> also <laughs> just trying to sell some hot dogs <laughs> James Gordon is Arthur's uncle so you know, that's clearly that. that's clearly as well. that. just some more just some other news uh, 12 Years a Slave just released on DVD this past week so you can go pick that out if you haven't seen it yet I already own it um, Inside Lewin Davis comes out March 11th so if you've been 
itching to see the Coen Brothers' newest film, you can pick that up then. Prime has had some really good stuff on it recently. I've been going through there, and they've been getting some new stuff. Uh, Clerks 2 is on there. I recently watched that for the first time. Uh, they've got The Americans, a series I'm very interested in watching. Uh, an FX series, so it's bound to be decent to above average good at, at best. Um, Hannibal's on there, so you can check that out if you haven't. Finally, Blue is the Warmest Color. Uh, the con Palm d'Or winner is now streaming on Netflix. What? So if you're interested in seeing that... God, why was that available for our anti-trash marathon? It just came out this week, so we missed it. We just missed the deadline. Your trash to cinema, I'm just saying. But uh, if you're interested in a three-hour love story of two French girls, it's there. It won the Palme d'Or to mix reviews, as many Palme d'Or winners do. Right. So there you go, gentlemen. Are they booing me? Uh, no, they're saying boo earns. Well, thank you for that, Arthur. I am very excited about all of those things about which you are fired up. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? I, much like Mr. Gordon, am at a low simmer, a boil at best. Uh, I finally started watching Deadwood, uh, the HBO series mm-hmm. featuring Timothy Oliphant, as, as we discussed. Also, um, a great performance by a man whose name I can't... Ian McShane, there we go. Yeah. Oh, Timmy's yeah. saying, I got it. Yeah. It's kind of, it's his showcase, uh, as the show is often toted as. And yeah, he gets to just swagger mm-hmm. around and have a lot of fun. And just chew the scenery to all get out. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I like westerns, as listeners probably know at this point. Uh, but it's it's definitely a revisionist western, to be sure. It's a lot of fun, and I like it. It's really good. I can't believe it took me this long to get around to it. Be ashamed. I, I finally got around to seeing A Good Day to Die Hard. Eh. I just... Eh. It's not as bad as I thought it would be. Well, I guess <laughs> that's good. But it's not good. It's not bad. It's not good. It's there. It's there. It exists. Yeah. It makes, again, Timothy Oliphant, man, way to rack up the mentions on this show, buddy. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it makes Live Free or Die Hard look a whole heck of a lot better, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just really nothing special. I, yeah. Finally, uh, another film from that, that year that I finally got around to checking out, Gangster Squad. Which was much better than A Good Day to Die Hard, but was still just kind of mediocre. And I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I finally got around to seeing it. it was I, I like action stuff. Yeah. I like stylistic action, and I liked the cast a whole lot. And what's not cool about the 1940s LA? I mean, come on. Fair enough. There's a reason they put a lot of movies there. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's a slow week for me. Dustin Sells, uh, what, what are you thinking about this week in Popular Mechanics? Well, in Popular Mechanics, I'm thinking about the uh, torque ratio of uh, the differential in the rear end of uh, the spanner module. It's all about your your miles to torque to your engine exhaust. I haven't found a horse in one, and I have not fed them, so I figure they're probably all dead. <laughs> That's two guys that don't know anything about mechanics talking it's about mechanics. Sad. We're real men. <laughs> <laughs> but in popular culture, I am somewhat fired up. Um... First of all, in a not new event, but I rescreened because I was uh, made available a very cheap copy of uh, The Hobbit, uh, Unexpected Journey, the first film, which was um, critically panned because of its bloat and length, and I watched it, and it was so much fun. I was surprised at how much fun I had watching it. Did you enjoy it more than your initial viewing? I did. And I mean, obviously, Tolkien nerd. So it's totally my wheelhouse, but as Tolkien nerd in the theater, seeing it in 48 frames a second and 3D and everything, I, I was watching this and I just thought, this is, this is an unbearable experience of an indeterminable length. I just, I, I couldn't, yeah. I did not want to be there. Did bathroom breaks help though? No, I didn't take any because I thought it might get good. You, no, and, no, no, I mean your home view. At home. I was riveted actually, as I was watching it at home. It was it was so much fun. It was like watching a Rube Goldberg machine occur. So the action sequences and all the expository bits of like, okay, this is not in the book, and that's fine because it ties to these other aspects of the, uh, the, the expanded universe and the novels and whatnot, the appendices and, uh, and what have you. And it turns out that it was a very, very fun experience. After all, um, to watch it, so I like it more. I still don't like the Goblin King um, with his scrotum chin, yeah. but um, that said, his voice acting is actually much better uh, upon this watching. My remembrance, that's so why I like it very much. And uh, probably a Tolkien fan only selection, but 
It was not as bad as I recall. And of course, I love the Desolation does, of Smog. It's very good. It doesn't have that crossover feel of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I, yeah, I don't think it does. Yeah, I think I it's totally fair. with the Hobbit for that reason. Um, the other thing I'm fired up about is litigation, because you know one is. Okay. And uh, there's current litigation right now about um, image properties uh, and property rights, specifically regarding the Batmobile. Hmm. Whether or not the Batmobile has the same protections that the images of characters do under copyright. Because somebody has been making Batmobile. Batsmobile? Batsmobiles. Batmobiles. (laughs) Batmobiles. (laughs) (laughs) Has been making these all of the 1960s version uh, from the Adam West series and also from the 1988 Tim Burton uh, adaptation of the Dark Knight and has been making these and selling these and I and this this has a lot to do with a lot of things I mean there's um, <laughs> court cases about Freddy Krueger's glove mm-hmm. whether or not it has those particular rights really uh, but I hope 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 that somehow some way that the uh, the the little people win and that we have freedom to make Batsmobile because. <laughs> I want to own a fleet of Batmobiles, DeLoreans, and kits from Knight Rider because nothing would make me happier. I would rock a DeLorean. Would you? I'm I, not gonna lie. The only Back to the Future style though, with all the the the, the boosters. I, and on. I would open the door in my cerebral palsy state. <laughs> I would film it and put it on YouTube. Get the loot. Because I'm a good friend. Gentlemen, it has been a blast to discuss uh, the movie The Avengers, to talk about our favorite superhero archetypes, and to talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Next week, we're going to look at yet another movie. What is that movie, Arthur Gordon? We will be doing Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, John Carpenter, Kurt Russell team up. Uh, a trend that they had in the early 80s. And so I think we'll have a lot of fun with that one. Our first return to John Carpenter since episode one, way back when, wet behind the ears in the world of podcasting. Don't listen to that episode. We yeah. are marginally better um, since then. Yeah, we, 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 you know, we cut our teeth. I like to think so. Only marginally better. Um, so there is that. But we're very, very excited to be looking at that film and to be talking about uh, 80s action schlock and Kung Fu, and John Carpenter, and vulgar tourism, and all kinds of other wonderful things um, that will definitely be peppered in the conversation that we have next week. But until then, you keep watching, you have a conversation with somebody you care about, about the movies, because the movies are what reflect the life that we live in this world, and we understand this world better by looking at those fake cinematic worlds, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 